Hello everybody, this is our 14th sermon looking at the book of Acts. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 20 verses 1 to 16 and we're thinking about walking the journey of life. In our reading today we see Paul embark on an epic journey. 1,500 miles around the Mediterranean by rudimentary sailboat and hard walking. Let me try and trace it out for you on a map. He leaves Ephesus after the uproar of the riot and travels north through Asia. He then crosses the Mediterranean into Europe to visit the churches he began in Macedonia. From there he travels all the way down through Greece before making the short trip over to Corinth in Achaia. After a three-month stay caused by the winter, he then sets out on his return from Corinth back north through Greece and on through Macedonia. He crossed back over the Med to Troas and then hops across the islands down the Asian coast to eventually land where our reading ends in Miletus. This actually is only a short pause in the journey for from there he heads on much further all the way by sea back to Jerusalem But this is enough for now. I'm sure we're all exhausted just thinking of this great expedition. But mentioning the distances involved is only half the story. Everywhere Paul went, he was working, teaching and preaching, encouraging and writing. Along the way, he had to face deadly plots against his life. He had to make difficult decisions about which way to turn next. And he had great tragedies to deal with, including the accidental death of Eutychus. It really is difficult for us to get our heads around what an undertaking this was. It must have been physically, mentally and emotionally draining. What a feat of human endurance. But remember that. It was human endurance. Paul was an ordinary human being, just like you and me. As I was thinking about Paul's journey this week, tracing it across a map and examining all the events involved, it got me thinking about the journey that we're all on. For we're all on a journey, the journey of life. The journey of life is also a long and winding road. Of course, there are joys and celebrations, but upon it we also encounter many obstacles and challenges. There are many junctions where we must decide which way to turn. There are dangerous temptations that seek to lure us off course. There is sadness to contend with through suffering and illness and bereavement. At times we get stressed and worn down. At times we want to give up completely. All of our journeys are different. I wonder where you are on yours right now. Barring the obvious of this current crisis, I wonder what it is that you are having to contend with. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus urged us to keep walking the narrow road of faith, come what may. But how do we do that? How do we sustain our walk with Jesus for such long distances? How do we keep going when everything within us wants to give up? How do we ensure that we make it to the end of life in the best shape possible and having truly lived upon the way? Well, in this reading, we get a few hints. By looking at the ways Paul sustained himself on his epic tour, we can learn a few habits that will help us also. 
there are five that I would like to highlight. The first is this. As we journey through life, we must keep a sense of purpose. No one in our reading is Paul just aimlessly wandering about. He's not lost and he's not on holiday. He knows what his role is. He knows what job he has to do. In Macedonia, he spent time encouraging the new Christians. In Greece, where he wintered for three months, he wrote Romans, his greatest letter. In Troas, he taught the gospel, working hard late into the night. And as we know from his letters, everywhere he went on this journey, he was gathering an offering to take back to the church in Jerusalem. An offering that would help the poor there and would also bring Jew and Gentile churches together. Journeys are made possible when we know the reason why we are making them. Even long and difficult ones become worthwhile when we know their purpose. I wonder how clear we are on the purpose of our lives. You know, work is actually a good thing. When God made Adam and Eve, he made them to work the ground and look after what he had made. God still has tasks for each and every one of us, even those of us who are retired. Doing nothing or having no role to play is actually bad for us. It leaves us aimless and deflated. As Christians, we speak of this in terms of calling. What is it that God is calling us to do on our journey at this time? Is it to be the best parent or grandparent, aunt or uncle, sister or brother that we can be? Supporting our family, nurturing them in the faith. Is it to be the best husband or wife that we can be? Supporting our loved one, praying for them every day, encouraging them towards God. Is it to be God's representative in our workplace? Whether we are a teacher or doctor, B&B owner or distillery tour guide, computer programmer or DIY handyman? Is it to be God's representative in our social club? allowing our conversations and actions to be a witness to Jesus. It's not just ministers that have a calling. We all do. If you're not sure what yours is, pray about it. Ask another Christian that you trust. Allow your eyes to be open to the skills and talents that God has given you and the opportunities that lay in front of you. If you're practical, use that hammer and screwdriver to the glory of God. If you're artistic, use your paintbrush and sewing needle to praise him. If you're a baker, make a cake to bless your neighbour. I hope you get the point. As Christians, we all have a purpose. To love God and serve him with our lives. To look after his world and bless our neighbours within it. To share the gospel wherever we get the chance. Paul lived with this purpose all his days and it kept him going. It meant that every new day was packed with potential. Every new destination contained opportunity. We too can live in the same way. If we're struggling on our journey right now, let's spend some time finding our purpose. It really will help. The second tip we find in this reading on how to keep going on our journey is to live our life in fellowship with others. In verse 4, we read the names of those people who accompanied Paul on the road. We know practically nothing about Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Tychicus or Trophimus. But their names are recorded in scripture at this point because they did something significant. They kept Paul 
company. These men would have laughed with Paul and cried with Paul. They would have prayed with him and prayed for him. They would have encouraged him. They would have shared his load and joined in the work. They would have eaten together and slept together. When on a long, hard journey, loneliness is a killer. Nothing demoralises someone or brings them to a halt quicker than a sense of vulnerability and isolation. On Tuesday this week, Emily and I and my mum and dad set out for Soldier's Rock. The path there was great, clear track all the way. The path back was not. It was a scramble through heather and bog, jumping streams and ducking branches. It was a bit of a slog. But as a family, we helped each other. We gave each other a hand up on difficult steps. Those who were stronger carried the bags. We laughed and joked and kept up morale. We waited for each other to catch up and then encouraged each other to make it back to the car. I'm pretty sure Emily won't mind me telling you that she would never have made that trip back from Soldier's Rock on her own. But now she's seen a beautiful view and has a sense of achievement. This is how fellowship works. As Christians, we're to get alongside one another and encourage each other on our journey through life. We're to pray, comfort, listen and advise. We're to offer practical assistance when we can. Even through lockdown, we can spur each other on by email, phone, text or Zoom call. If we're struggling on our journey right now, we should find out other Christians in the church. Seek friendship and family. Fellowship really will keep us going. The third tip we get for sustaining the journey of faith is to worship regularly. In verse 7 we read of Paul and his companions meeting on the first day of the week to break bread. By breaking bread they are remembering Christ's death on the cross. The love of God demonstrated to the full as he won our forgiveness. By meeting on Sunday... They are declaring his resurrection. Sunday worship is about declaring Jesus as king of kings, victor over death, and that now nothing can stand in his way or stop his purposes coming to be. Regular worship is so important. It places us in the gospel story. It reminds us who our God is and just why he can be trusted. It reminds us of our calling and purpose to serve him in the world. It's the place of refreshment and empowerment as the Spirit moves among God's people. It's the place of healing and comfort as the struggling are prayed for. Regular worship is vital to maintain a long journey of faith. If you think of a motorway, see church services as the service stations on the way. We refuel, we rest, we get ready to go again. I know I'm preaching to the converted here as you're all in church this morning. But we all know that when life gets hard, church attendance is one of the first things that we're tempted to give up. It should be the exact opposite. When we are struggling in life, we should make more space for worship, because as we make the effort to praise God as he is due, he goes to work on us. Paul knew that. It's why he deliberately delays his journey just so he can spend the first day of the week in worship with the believers in Troas. The fourth tip for sustaining our journey through life is prayer. Prayer forms the channel for God to pour in all that we need for the steps ahead. 
For that reason, prayer should be regular, part of a daily discipline, as well as the spontaneous moments of conversation with God. But in this reading, the prayer comes in the aftermath of a tragedy. The falling of the sleeping Eutychus out of the window and down three stories forms a warning to all preachers like me not to drone on too long. But it was certainly no joke at the time. We've seen evidence of Paul's pastoral heart before, and here we see his desperation at the thought that a man may have died listening to his teaching. Paul charges down the stairs, throws himself on the young man, wrapping his arms around him. Luke does not record any words to Paul's prayer. He does not need to. The actions themselves are a heart-rending cry to the Lord for help. Sometimes in scripture, people lay hands on others when they pray earnestly for God to act. Here Paul lays his whole body, his heart and his soul onto Eutychus, pleading with God to restore life. Of course, miraculously, that is what happens. This is the eighth and final account of someone being raised to life in the Bible. It is a reminder again that our God is the God of resurrection. He holds the power over death. Nothing can defeat him. As we journey through life, tragedies will happen. There will be bereavement, illness, unemployment, financial worry, accidents of all kind. We are to be people of prayer so that when those moments come, prayer is our instinctive response. When we are weak, when we are powerless, we turn to the Lord and allow him to step in for us. By his mercy, he'll provide what we need to get back on track and continue the journey of faith ever onwards. The final tip from this reading may come as a little bit of a surprise to us. We're so used to thinking of Paul as this great man of action. We imagine him getting up every morning and plunging into his work with a zeal and determination well beyond our own. But the final verses give a little bit of perspective. Paul's companions set sail around the coast from Troas to Assos, but when they arrive they have to wait. Why? Well, verse 13 tells us that Paul had decided to walk the route instead. That is a 20-mile, probably seven-hour journey on his own. Now, in verse 16, we read that Paul was in a hurry. He wanted to get to Jerusalem and hand over his offering to the church at Pentecost. But despite the clock ticking onwards, Paul slows everything down for a day off. The Bible does not tell us what he did in those seven hours or so. I imagine him drinking in the surroundings, listening to the birds, gazing out to sea. I imagine him reflecting on all that had happened and focusing on what was to come. I imagine him using the solitude for prayer and praise, quality time alone with God. I think this is Paul on a spiritual retreat. And like several commentators that I read, I'm sure this did Paul a lot of good. When we are busy... We can be lured into thinking that there is no time for rest, no time for a day off, no time to pause and think. So we hurry on, getting more and more tired in body, mind and spirit. I'm terrible at this, often allowing work to creep into my day off. But sometimes it is stopping, retreating from the business, retreating into God 
that enables us to be the most effective. We recharge, we think, and we get through things quicker and more efficiently as a result. I began by saying that work was a good thing, it gives us purpose, but God did not make us to be slaves. He wants us to enjoy him in his world. Sometimes we have to stop and get away from it all to do just that. If you're struggling with your journey at the moment, ask yourself, when was the last time I took a break? When was the last time I had some alone time? When was the last time I actually reflected on things and took time to plan? Maybe a retreat with God, even if it's just for a few hours on a weekend afternoon, is exactly what we need. So there we finish. We've traced Paul's exhausting journey round the Mediterranean and back again, and we've compared it to the journey that we are on in life. For all of us to keep the faith and finish well, we need to ensure that there are certain things in place. We have discovered that Paul had a sense of purpose, the fellowship of companions, a time of worship every Sunday, an active prayer life, and the wisdom to slow down and retreat when necessary. I commend these five tips to us. Let's give them a go and see what difference they make to our journey in the months ahead. One thing is for certain. God will be with us in whatever comes our way, and these things will help keep us aware of his presence.